time to turbocharge your online presence and unlock the true potential of your website's digital journey with their frictionless experience. This podcast delves deep into the world of user experience to help you eradicate costly friction. Join us as we dive into website and mobile app optimization to explore how refining your digital playground can become a game changer for your business. This is the Frictionless Experience, brought to you by Blue Triangle. Hello, and welcome to the Frictionless Experience, the podcast where we lay waste to digital friction. I'm your co-host, Chuck Moxley. And I'm Nick Palladino. And on today's episode, we're diving into usability, one of the five friction forces that occur in digital experiences. Joining us is Mike Shady, and Mike has spent the last five years at Lowe's, where he was Senior Vice President for Online, but that's not his only home improvement experience. Mike actually also spent 15 years at Home Depot in various web operations roles and even did a stint as Vice President of E-Commerce at JCPenney in between. Mike, welcome to the Frictionless Experience. Thanks, Chuck. I appreciate it. Uh, now, Nick, you and Mike worked together before at Home Depot, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So a lot of that time I was an engineer, and so Mike was my counterpart. Nice. Okay, good. Well, then you guys will should have no problem diving into the uh, topic here. Now, Nick, um, before we dive in, and I, w- this is part of our series that we're doing on the five friction forces. Do you want to quickly cover what those are in case this is the first episode somebody's tuning into? Yeah, absolutely. So the the five friction forces are all about understanding the influences that happen inside a digital space. Um, at the at the top of that is marketing, but as you start getting into that funnel, that's when site aesthetics matter, as well as usability, as well as that seasonality influence. But then the final of the forces, which is uh, something that kind of is is um, wraps everything around, is that performance tier, the speed, how quick is that experience? And so that's where a lot of the the experience erodes. It's everything that we're doing to invest into that user experience and into that UI to give them that good look and feel, it erodes from that performance tier. All right. So as noted today, we're going to focus specifically on usability, part of that site quality in our discussion. Awesome. Okay, great. Mike, tell us about your role and your team at Lowe's and what you were focused on there. Yeah. So at Lowe's, I, I, I ran the, the online business. So from that perspective, it was the, uh, the, the all-encompassing uh, kind of challenge of directing not just the, the site experience, but the full customer experience. So we looked at things from a journey perspective, right? Like how the customer was interacting uh, with the brand in general was heavily influenced by their, the, the digital properties that we had, by the omni-channel experience that happened within stores, uh, just a significant amount of, of things come in. And, and we know, I mean, with a lot of the topics when we're talking friction, the amount of friction that, that can be introduced into some of these processes could be pretty high. And our, our job, my job was to look at all of this and just digest down to what are the most important things to be able to tackle for our customers that allow us to be able to uh, create the best shopping experience. And we use that as the mantra, right? We try to use the, the customer first mentality to be able to sit out there and do the things that might not be the, the, the largest uh, 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 drivers of, of where like internal people might be looking, but the tie break at all times, if we were debating about that would be, okay, well, what does the customer want? And we'd focus on what that was to be able to ensure that we were doing uh, our planning and, and our road mapping around at least them as a focal point, right? So that, that was 
uh, the, the kind of the nutshell version of everything we did. And in the end, I mean, the, the, the P&L uh, rolled into to me and my team, and we needed to make sure that that uh, was reflecting uh, how our customers were, uh, were interacting with the brand as well. So if we saw problems in the P&L, we went back and we tried to figure out what was going on with the experiences. So we, we always tied it back together, but the, we let the financials uh, uh, drive at some points, but we constantly use the, the customer needs as our North Star. I, I love that. I, I guess what, where do you kind of go to, to understand that information though? Like how, how do you break the tie with the customer's needs when you're not talking to literally every customer? Yeah. I mean, you, you have to get representative sampling and, and you've got to be able to, uh, uh, do some really basic stuff. And one thing that, that we always talked about, and I still preach, I mean, to a- anybody that I'm, I'm speaking with about like the e-com subject is that, I mean, if you're not collecting the appropriate amount of customer data, you need to figure out what that looks like. I mean, there's, there's sampling that's going to take place across the board, but if your sample is too small, I mean, your customer base is relatively diverse. And you think of the home improvement space, the number of customers that are shopping in that, uh, uh, uh uh, in that in that retail segment is huge. I mean, a customer doesn't shop for an appliance the same way they shop for carpet. Uh, I don't install a kitchen the same way as I would install an outdoor shed. I don't think about uh, laying pavers in the same way that I would think about buying pillows or furniture for a, 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 like a, a room in my house that I'm redecorating. So that that's a big chunk. Is that one? If if you're lacking visibility into those sub segments. You're going to do the wrong thing because every customer base and those those cohort groups you got to create are different. But uh, the the thing that we said too is that from the customer perspective, the easiest way to be able to kind of get in their shoes, shop yourself. Like go out there and and do the things. Like try and buy fencing online. Try and buy twenty by by twenty five carpet online. Get that stuff delivered. Get a get a refrigerator delivered to your house. Like test these things and try it out, and then it gives you some. Uh, a little bit of both sides, right? You get the customer aspect uh, that you can see, but you get a little bit of reality uh, from yourself uh, doing the, the the journey as well. Was that an employee perk? You got free refrigerator, free. <laughs> yeah. We want you to try it. Give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately not. But we did. Uh, we, we had a program that that uh, we gave people uh, uh, like a credit account and allowed them to go out and purchase things. So we had a. Uh, a series of products that we would go through from like a category perspective and we would journey those on a regular basis. We had a, a, a team of people, category experience is what we called it. They shopped the category. They, they optimized the category. One piece of that was, is buying things within the category and having that stuff uh, shipped to your house and, and go through the process of, of figuring out how it works because the journey doesn't just stop online. You could have the, the best online experience in the world and if the fulfillment leg of it uh, is terrible, your whole experience is terrible. It, the whole thing gets ruined. So we wanted to make sure that we really looked at it from the moment you start engaging with the brand to the moment that you're you're complete and hopefully uh, becoming an advocate for the brand. Uh, if something goes wrong, I mean, the, the best thing we can do is learn how to fix it. So we always looked at the happy path of being able to get products fulfilled the right way, but then looked at all the scenarios that would go potentially wrong and try to figure out the right way to correct it because that, uh, that proactive action for a customer means a lot. I mean, leaving them hanging is the worst thing you can do. So for us, it was, it was really looking at and expanding the definition of what end to end means from a digital perspective. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. And something that you said that really resonated for me and actually helped me a lot when I was at Home Depot, which was being our own customer. Because like I, I would constantly be hammering special by the day. Like every single day I'd check and figure out what it was. Not because I was interested in the experience and just making sure that things were reliable or whatever as an engineer, but because I wanted to know what it was. And I would constantly be buying stuff. So I would find all these little edge cases or all these little things that would end up happening for me. And I would turn that into an actionable unit of work and be able to have just a thing that allows me to do that just by being my own customer. And there were so many, so many users, both on, on the, on the product side and on the engineering side that would just forget to just go be a customer. And it's just so simple. It's a, it's a big thing to get wrapped up in your work and not pop your head up and look around at what your customers are actually experiencing. And I think that depending upon the role that you play and the level that you're at, the higher uh, you go in an organization, the more tightly aware and tightly correlated your actions need to be to the actions of your customer base. I mean, you got to think that we were driving strategy for the, for the digital enterprise, right? If you're wrong on what the customers are looking for, I mean, it has ripple effects, not just through the, the digital world, but through the stores, right? If, if you design something that has some sort of friction already baked into it, you're going to have uh, uh, unhappy customers and it, it will show up in a number of different areas. It's not just an, an, an online issue. It turns into an omni issue. Yeah, that, that BAPAS, the, uh, the buy online pickup on store that you have in retail, you really have to marry that digital and physical and remove the friction of the whole experience. I actually, just as a side note, just made my first purchase from Lowe's last week, bought it online and then picked it up in store and had a little bit of friction because I hadn't downloaded the app. So it wasn't as easy, easy to do, but we, we had, we talked about this on another episode. We were talking to somebody from Wyndham hotels, same idea of, you know, that, that physical. And when you start to marry those, it becomes infinitely harder, right. To remove the friction. Infinitely harder. And, uh, the, the thing that you've got to remember is that the customer doesn't recognize how hard it is like, like hiding that from the customer, the customer needs to believe it's magic, right? Like everything just works. The complexity needs to stay behind the scenes. So the things that that you're uncovering and any friction that you felt in that experience are, are, are things that need to be kind of digested in the background to just make it smooth for that customer. Leave, leave the complexity to the people working behind the uh, the magic curtain, right? Like let the customers believe that everything is 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 perfect and simple and and things just work. Uh, in, in any case, any place you go, if it's if it's super simple from a experience perspective uh, in in a digital format. There is some high levels of complexity that the the associates have been able to digest and 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 take out of that process, but leave it in the background to to be handled for them. I mean, it, it's it's again, however you can make that experience easier for a customer, the better off you're going to be as a, as a company. You're the wizard behind the curtain, <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally, right? yes. So when we think about site aesthetics, what how do you define that? What do you define as aesthetics and what does that mean as it, as it relates to delivering a frictionless experience? Yeah. Aesthetics to me, I mean, I, I go straight to look and feel and, and base usability. Like there's a, there's a lot that needs to be thought about as far as like how branding kind of comes into these experiences. But at the same time, you can have the best branding in the world, but if your search is terrible, your aesthetic is going to be bad. Right. I mean, there's, there's a weird blend in the digital space when you bring up aesthetic. A lot of time it's, it's looked at uh, a little bit more to, to the design and style, but it's so closely paired with functionality 
in a digital space because everything out there should have a purpose, right? There's a reason for all of the different things that are sitting on a website. And if, if they look great, it's one thing. Uh, but if they look great and work terribly, it's not going to help you, right? So I, I think m- my definition of the aesthetic is, is, is molded a little bit differently because I, I constantly look at it from a functionality perspective and the aesthetic of the, of the journey to me is more important than the aesthetic of the, uh, the look and feel, even though it's both, both are really important. Right. But I mean, I, I've got to put more weight on, um, uh, the functionality and, and how that customer would be able to, to move through the experience. Yeah. I love that line that you just used the uh, aesthetic of the journey which is really powerful. The idea that they have a goal, right? The customer has a goal they're trying to achieve and anything that gets in the way of that is becomes aesthetic is a big piece of that. And you talked about looking at all the different segments of customers and different types of purchases. How do you measure the impact of site quality and aesthetics effectively? How, how do you measure and determine when aesthetics is off or in some way? Yeah, it's funny. I, I go back, aesthetic to me, is uh, one of those things that's that's heavily measured. I, I look at aesthetic as something that has a a litany of background details behind it for me to be able to understand if the aesthetic is is correct or not. And and it's it's funny because you have to balance a customer aesthetic a little bit with with what the business uh, goal is. So there's always a balance in between what you're trying to do. And there's there's things that are out there that if I see. Uh, certain metrics go sideways. Like take take an aesthetic, uh, take a very pleasing aesthetic experience and wrap it around, uh, like say a a slow page load time, and the experience could be great from every aspect of it. But if that thing loads in four, five, six seconds, I mean it's ruined, right? And that customer is is given a big hint of, about how the rest of the experience is gonna gonna come to come into reality for them. Right. Those, those little hints, I, I always talk about it in, in uh, like micro decisions. I, I'm making a decision about how I feel about the aesthetic of this site when this page is loading in five seconds as I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. I, I was just going to say, and that wraps up to kind of how I was saying earlier that that performance tier just erodes that value. You create the good aesthetic, that good journey. All performance does is work against us. That's it. It's the value of time. It's like it's it's that that intangible that becomes tangible only in a negative sense. In an ideal world, we're instant, obviously, but we can't be there. Think think of it. I think the point you're making is great because if a site loads super fast, I get a little bit of pleasure about it. But if a site loads super slow, you deteriorate my like like thoughts about the site in a huge way. Like it takes a lot more effort to be able to to get me to turn around and bring me back to a level where I'm pleased with my experience. Exactly, exactly. And you know, if if a if a user is thinking about the site's performance, it's only because it's negative. It's never because it's positive, except for us nerds. Like, I mean, I guess I might be like, "Wow, this is actually insanely fast." Yeah, but that's only because like I'm thinking about it, right? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I, I used to, I used to, I worked uh, in marketing when I was at an agency and a uh, wireless account. And it was the same thing. Nobody ever had a better than expected call. They only got upset when the call got dropped. Right. So it's kind of the same thing. You only can disappoint in that user experience. And, and, and you guys make another point. 
we distinguish aesthetic from usability from site speed, the, the customer probably doesn't. If it's a bad experience or a good experience, it doesn't matter. They are, they don't, they said to go, well, the aesthetics were good, but the speed sucked. You know, it's not like they, they do that delineation that we would. I, I think the, uh, the interesting point around all of that goes back to, it takes so much time to be able to create stickiness with a customer. And you think about it, like customers that you spend all this time and effort to market, and then they, they're on the site and they say they have a, a great experience and everything works well, the chance of them coming back is high. And the chance of them spending more is higher when that occurs. And when you think about the second trip back, the third trip back, you're, you're starting to work up this, this ladder of, um, uh, of stickiness, right? Like you have customers that are going to move from a base customer to potentially an advocate for the brand, the better you do. But Think of think the latter example is an interesting one. You're climbing rung by rung. You, you get something that goes bad. Like I, I always joke about like a, uh, some of the most disruptive stuff in home improvement is, is appliance delivery, right? Because if I'm getting a new refrigerator, it probably means my old refrigerator doesn't work. So I'm living out of a cooler or something for a period of time, or my stove doesn't work. I can't cook. So I've got like a barbecue in the back that I'm just using for every meal. Those types of things you're, you are invested in the purchase decision that you made with that company. And if that company lets you down, the pain you feel with that delivery not working, my refrigerator doesn't show up. I'm living out of a cooler for another week or two or three. If my stove doesn't show up or say it does show up and it's the wrong size or it's the, the connections don't work or it didn't come with the, the, the things that needed to be able to properly pipe it to the wall. All of those things come into that experience aesthetic. And no matter how good it, list, it, it was online, if that thing in my house isn't up and running and working and my life is back to normal, well, it, it falls back on the experience uh, to, the, to the brand in general. Yeah. And also to the brand of the actual appliance itself too. Like if I, if I bought an appliance and I, you know, I committed to that brand because I've, I've said, I've done all my research and this is the brand I want. I want uh, KitchenAid or whatever. It doesn't matter. Right. And then they deliver it and then it doesn't work for me. Who am I blaming? Right. I mean, it's like who's most at fault as a customer. And if you bought it typically in those scenarios, I mean, you're thinking about that brand, but the first place you're going to go is back to the retailer, right? Like I'm not here to be able to deal with a brand. I bought it from Lowe's. I bought it from Home Depot. I bought it from wh whatever company that's out there. That company is who I put my money and my faith with. I expect the, 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 the other half of the deal to be fulfilled, right? Which means I have a working product installed the way that I need to everything fine, my life back to normal. So, so you make a great point about, uh, you, you commented about people who are frequent customers. So you get them to come once, right? You get their loyalty to come back. There was actually a study done by Wharton that found loyal customers get more upset when they have friction in the experience. And it's because they are experiencing more because they're coming and purchasing more often. They're more likely to have a bad experience than the casual occasional customer. It's kind of an interesting paradigm. So you can actually inflict more pain on your most loyal customers in that way. If you're not dealing with the usability and, and functionality of the, of the purchase process. Yeah. And I think that's a, it's a great point because when you think about it from a home improvement perspective, the customer that's coming in the most and having the, the, the repeated experience with you many times is the pro. And that's why it makes it so important for that population to be looked at uniquely. I mean, the, 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 
both Lowe's and Depot have been a pro-focused organization for a while. Lowe's has done a lot to double down in that space and really make it known that, hey, we're not going to lose the pro and we need to be able to build that, that base. But you think of that experience, I mean, those pros are looking for some basic stuff. I mean, they just, they need the right products in the store. They need the assortment like, like to be set the right way for them, right? They need to make sure they've got job lock quantities and, and are in stock at the rate that they can grab things and go. They want to have like a great price and they want to make it as easy as possible so they can get in and get out of the store without any problem. Uh, a lot of things that, that both companies have done is allow for um, uh, other folks besides the person who placed the order to be able to come in and grab it. So think you're on a job site, you place a bobus order on your phone to go through the app. You can send somebody from your crew in to be able to get the thing that you need, right? But both companies have also spent a lot of time now doing quite a bit of work to be able to think about, okay, well, what could we do to also make delivery to site a lot easier? So Again, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's unique to that population of people. On the other side, you might have a whole group of folks that are, that are designers and they need things, I mean, uh, in, in a different way. It's like they're always looking and, and trying to find things that are more on trend. So the breadth and depth of assortment is that much more important, right? So a little bit, little bit of uniqueness between like the two groups, but it, it all comes back down to just what, again, what does that customer need and what, uh, what can you provide them to be able to make their, their experience live up to the needs that they have and, and any friction in that again pulls it back and and you have some problems but losing one of those people is is incredibly painful those are the groups that you want to hang on to because they're the they're the ones that are that are putting in a, a ton of revenue and faith uh into your brand and uh letting them down is is, is definitely i mean tough to digest i like your ladder analogy as you're climbing the ladder each time you come through what happens if you fall off the ladder at the top? That's not too nice. <laughs> That's worse than falling off on the first rung. Is that what you're saying? That's the, yeah. The injuries are a lot greater. Yes. <laughs> well, and think of it too. I don't know the last time any of you have fallen off the ladder, but do you ever fall one rung down? No. <laughs> you hit the ground half the time, right? So I, I think it's a very similar experience when a customer gets let down. It's, it's one of those things. It's either you're uh, a hero or a zero in, in some of those, right? So how, how do we protect that experience and make sure they're getting what they need is super important. Yeah. And, and then at a pro level, just continuing the analogy, I mean, you're, you're not, you're not just letting the person down, you're letting the person down that is letting somebody else down. Yes. Right? Like it's, <laughs> this is a cascading problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. And who's that pro going to say I mean, half the time? Well, I didn't get my stuff and it came from X company, right? I mean, that's, that's usually very top of mind for them to be able to explain why they're having problems. points are hurting you the most finding friction with your current tech stack is a good start but monitoring and digital analytics tools only tell part of the story leaving you with unanswered questions only blue triangle quantifies revenue robbing friction on every page so you can prioritize issues and fix what matters most companies can't afford websites with maddening friction Visit bluetriangle.com today and turn observability into profitability. To learn more or request a demo, visit bluetriangle.com. Did you all create different digital journeys for the pros versus the consumer or for designers versus consumers, or are they all on the same digital journey? No, it's it's definitely separate. I mean, like there's there's unique pro experiences completely. Like both uh, Depot and Lowe's have, I mean, pro versions of their websites. So it's, it's completely tailored to what they need. And uh, 
it, it brings a lot of other elements in that might not be necessary for a common DIY shopper, but for a pro, I mean, you think of the things like I, I constantly build decks, right? I know that I need X many boards, X many nails, this many uh, 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 cans of stain, whatever for it. That order becomes something that you can reorder and, and use kind of in your background. You know what the pricing looks like. You're not even looking items up. Most of the time you have those things saved off or you're using like the model number to be able to, to, to get it in there. They're, they're shopping very differently because they're so in tune with the product. And we got to you got to tweak the website to be able to make sure that they can, again, get in and out quickly. All they want to do is is make that experience. I mean, as fast as possible, because they're making money when they're on the job site. They're not making money when they're placing orders like through a website or through an app. Good, all good points. And so, and, and you're touching on something interesting because you now have multiple different journeys that you have to measure and, and know what's working and what's not, where there's friction. The other piece of that is you've got all the forces working. So how do you, how did your team determine the impact on things like site aesthetics, usability, et cetera, when all five forces are constantly changing seasonality, audience, you know, um, site speed, all of those. How do you how do you balance all that and figure out where the problem? Yeah, I mean that that's the magic of it, right? Is that it's never a singular issue. I mean, you're you're very lucky if half the time you can go out there and say, okay, out of everything going on within this category of products, I've got one thing that didn't work, and I can go out and fix it. But I, I think it goes back to, I mean, the the amount of attention you give those categories to be differentiated. Uh, allows you to be able to get more in tune with what those customers are looking for. And most of the time, and when you're tuning the category, you have to tune the analytics that you're looking at to be able to mirror that journey. So if I, if I have certain things that are needed in buying an appliance versus a pro uh, buying bunks of lumber, there's, there's the staple kind of needs of what that journey looks like from a customer funnel, but there's all kinds of functionality that gets built into that that might be a little bit different that you've got to keep an eye on to make sure that it's running the way that you've designed it. And, and you know, there's there's thousands of things that can go bump in the night with with major e-commerce websites. Being able to understand what those things are and, and be alerted to it proactively saves you, I mean, significant amounts of, uh, uh, of cycles that are potentially disappointing customers. So I, I think it just comes back to the point that, y- yes, you need to be, aware of all, and you've got to come up with some way to proactively sit out there and be notified when these things are not working. And, and that's a, a bit of the, the secret sauce. The better you get at that, the less customer disruption there is. And the less customer disruption there is, the more satisfaction they have with the experience. Sounds, sounds <laughs> it's almost overwhelming the more you describe it. <laughs> Can you think, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, there's a lot to it, but I think the the magic is keeping it simple, right? I mean, you, you could get mired in in details and, and there's points in time where you need to get deep into subject matter. But I think at, at the same time, you've got to have key metrics that are out there that you're proactively looking at. And at the same time, how are you going back like to what we discussed in the very beginning about like, what's that customer saying? If I come in on a Sunday and I see that my scores were were great on on, on portions of the site experience, and I come in on Monday and, and I see that in the last 12 hours, it's dropped by X many points. Something's going on. I mean, so is, is that the indicator that we need to be looking at intensely to be able to make sure that we, we haven't missed something in some of those macro uh, metrics we might be looking at? If something on that side goes wrong uh, uh, with, the, with the customer, it could detail very quickly 
uh, uh, exactly what the the problem is and how you uh, you start diagnosing it. So it's it constantly is is just a what are the things you got to monitor? Keep it simple with what those main things are. If one of those starts starts acting up, then the deep dives need to occur, and you just got to be ready for it. So I think it turns into more of a, a planning and readiness exercise than it is a uh, an active monitoring with with a person doing this. I mean, that's why the systems are in the background to give you those details. And I would imagine that one of the indicators also becomes revenue or orders and order completions and things like that. Can you think of a time when there was a change in something, something, you know, in the aesthetic or the usability of the functionality, and it caused friction that you could instantly see a change in your conversion rate curve or an impact to revenue in some way? Yeah. And I think the, uh, a, a couple interesting things when, when you think about that. So when you, when you get to that level and going back to what we were saying about the, the things that the customer might experience, there's, there's definitive impact when you see some of those customer metrics drop off. The, the, the game that you're trying to play is to minimize the financial impacts that you're seeing on the other end, right? So the sooner I can get in and, and understand where that customer is having problems or where they're kind of walking away from the experience, the easier it is to go back in there and say, okay, here's the stuff that we've got to spin up quickly to be able to fix. So our overall revenue isn't, isn't impacted for hours and hours and hours. I mean, if things go days, you're going to have more of that brand uh, regression uh, that we were talking about before happened to those customers. So there, there's a lot and, it, and it's the, the, the readiness to deal with it is, is a big deal. But I, I've got, I think everybody has an example. If you've worked in the e-com space long enough, there is something that somebody has messed up at some point that you thought was going to be fantastic that just added intense friction for no reason. I'm thinking about uh, there's a, a, a constant battle with Every, there's so many things that people want to get in and do, right? So you, you really have to prioritize well. But even if you prioritize to the best of your ability, you still might find people like touching the same thing in different ways. And, and I can think of an example. There was a release that, that occurred where uh, everybody was excited for this. We thought it was absolutely going to be great, right? But didn't realize that the release that was happening on like a, a PDP of a, of a product category also was touching what the fulfillment leg looked like and it just wasn't tested the right way. So the experience up front looked great. I could add this thing to cart, but when I got to cart, I couldn't check out because of the way that we kind of worked on some of the PDP and we were just all like clapping, high-fiving everybody that the thing was out there on the PDP and then realized that, holy smokes, I mean, we're not even close to getting the transaction volume that we're looking at. So we had to go back in and just kind of start looking at it. But the first thing we did was recognize, okay, it's associated with this and backed it all out. So started from zero and then just kind of went back through. But a, a lot of that comes back into just the the, the level of testing that's done up front. Uh, and again, the proactive recognition that, hey, not everything is going to work. So you got to be reliant upon, I mean, the, the user experience where if things are new and you're putting it out there, you better be testing it. You better be live on site looking at those things. You better be really good at being able to fix issues on the fly. Because, I mean, years ago, and Nick knows this, I mean, there used to be like, um, various dev environments that you could work through and kind of push things into to get a little bit more and more and more real to what the actual customer experience was. After a period of time, a lot of these things, the, the agile mentality has come in where, hey, we're going to push more of this stuff into a live environment, test the heck out of it up front. But if something goes wrong, we're going to be that much more nimble to be able to fix it, to skip a lot of those those dev layers to be able to just push things faster because everybody is trying to do that, right? Like, 
throughput is the thing that that we're trying to do in, in all cases. No matter who you're sitting with or what company you're working for, there is somebody out there that's better than you at something that you're aiming to be able to to try and try and tackle. And speed of, of execution and speed of delivery uh, of that functionality becomes the biggest thing. But I, I think the the evolution of how software has been developed and where those those uh, uh, points in time kind of reflect back to what it means to get things out to market faster is, is a big deal. And that's where a lot of that, I mean, has, has come into play, but you have always got to be ready for when the thing goes bump in the night, because I mean, it's going to happen, right? There's no such thing as everything being clean and you just got to be ready to, to deal with it when it goes down. All of that right there really sums up how the, I, I want, I still want to call it new, but it's not new at this point, but the site reliability engineering mentality matches that product management mentality. It's really kind of a, a nice match made in heaven, frankly. The the two of them really work together. It, it allows for that nimble, agile mentality that you're you're going towards that product focused thought process. So you're a little bit more micro siloed. You're quicker to production. Um, but man, your your story also reminds me of one. And I, I don't know if you were still at Depot or not when this happened, but there was a um, there was a vendor that ended up deploying a change. Um, they thought nothing of it because they applied it to every single brand out there that used their stuff. It ended up crashing JavaScript. And so in the way that uh, our uh, PDP page was set up, it ended up creating that the add to cart button would not work because JavaScript wouldn't function. And I was so, there. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. I, yeah I, I figured you would be. And that one, man, oh. Painful. Very painful, but thankfully, thinking that site reliability mentality, we had a feature switch to be able to turn off that specific vendor at an instant. So it didn't end up impacting our business too much because we had that that bump in the night, just like you're talking about, to be able to respond to it and be able to quickly get to it. And before traffic ramped up in that morning, we were already live and kicking and that, you know, every brand out there can't say the same thing that they probably had JavaScript down for, you know, who knows a week. I don't know how long it took because we kept it off. I do remember getting that phone call when it went, when all that happened. And it was, it was, I mean, you talk about all hands on deck. That was a, a big deal. That was, <laughs> that was, yeah. Uh, that's not even the most severe one that happened, <laughs> man. I, I don't. I feel like I can't even talk about the most yeah. severe one. Some of the most, some of the most severe, I've pushed in the back of my memory and not because <laughs> it's just just traumatic, right? But yeah, it happens. All right, so we've talked a lot about the problems that can come. Can you think of an example? Let's go the other direction, where maybe you saw an indication where there was friction. And you were able to use the tools that you had and the, and the different teams working together. And you came up with like a new aha that dramatically improved the experience in some way that maybe you wouldn't have even figured out if you hadn't identified that friction as being the problem. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of them. I, th I think that's the, that's the more common thing. I, I say that knocking on wood to make sure that something doesn't happen bad to anywhere I've worked. But when, when you think about that, the, the proactive nature of it is what you design your team around to be able to identify and, and, and charge to be able to fix. I mean, a lot of the work that we did on prioritization of, of road mapping was done to be able to hit those things that we know have friction included in it. And, and you try and make sure that you're working on the top things. Um, so th there's a lot of good stories around those. And I think that the, there, there's, some, there's a simple one that I remember where we were working on an app 
And uh, when you when you brought the app up on certain pages, there were promos that were being pressed into the top hat on the app. Right. We didn't realize that the the top hat uh, was covering two thirds of the product page that the customer was trying to see. So everybody's all excited. This promo should be doing great. Uh, Things didn't work the right way, but that was only in very small sections. And somebody found that and, and, and literally made some quick changes and changed the dynamic of just how that that category on the app was trending because it wasn't something that anybody ever had discovered. It was just within that category, the way that it was set up, it was just a little off. So take that as an example. That was somebody doing proactive search out there, looking at categories from like a, a merchandising lens going, I have no idea why this thing is underperforming or this category is, is so low. It seems to be doing everywhere. I see there's market share gains taking place with our competitors. What can I do to be able to fix it? They went out, started shopping, saw this one little thing, realized that was covering up like basically the top eight selling items that were uh, um, selling in the stores, made the quick fix, pushed it out there and got, I mean, instant gains basically, right? So a a lot of this stuff turns into conversion funnel work. And when you start thinking about the conversion funnels at a a category of product level, I mean, you've got to get deep because again, with the breadth and depth of assortment that a lot of uh, major retailers have. And if you look at home improvement, I mean, there's millions of items online and there's tens of thousands of categories of products. How each of those work is just a little bit different. And you got, and there's examples all over the place of functionality that was proactively thought through to be able to improve experiences. Uh, but it's all based off of just the work that we did just from a, uh, a conversion funnel perspective and just the base financial kind of reviews that would occur within uh, like the merchandising world. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Mike, what do companies get wrong about friction in their digital experiences? What's a common belief that that is held out there that you disagree with completely and think about differently? Yeah, I, I'll do one that's relatively general. And I think it's it's something that we, we touched on a little bit, but companies that think they know best are the ones that very, very frequently will trip over themselves all over the place and, and develop a customer experience that's not tuned the way that they need it. I, I've, I've been, I think all of us have been in an experience where we've gotten a, just do this, we know it's right. And then if you go out there and produce something and test it, you realize it's absolutely not. So I, I think it's the, the realization that, that you don't know everything and you really need to make sure that you're doing the diligence to, to tailor your work to your customer base. The, the, the better you do that, the better everything is going to be. And it's not a one-time thing, right? That's not just a go out there once a year and do a quick survey and come back. I mean, you got to have that that uh, um, constant customer first mentality. But I think that's a big one. I mean, co- companies that come out with like the, I know it all are, are not going to know it all. And there's going to be problems that occur. One of my favorite quotes, this is, this is a very meta comment, but one of my favorite quotes is um, a Socrates quote. The, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. <laughs> that's actually a good mantra for, it is. No, it's fantastic. Like if you, if you think about it from a perspective of, I know nothing, I literally know nothing. That's the only thing I know. Then you can go through and and be a little bit more diagnostic and think about the whys behind it and then start to actually know something about it because that, it, it just comes from a, a humble place in, in your mentality instead of a place of bias and a place of, of being too confident, too proud. There's a, there's a funny example that I had, and, and this works, I'll, I'll say from a retail perspective, you got to keep that in mind, but vendors also come in and here's, here's a fun one. And Nick can probably relate to this. Vendors have all kinds of funny words for things for their products, right? Where 
you might call um, uh, uh, a certain thing one name, like a, a, the, the very common name that we would sit down and say, yeah, this is a microphone. Well, the, the name that the vendor might use could be something very technical, but they think it's the differentiator, right? Where it's like, an audio collector. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was trying to think of one that wasn't wasn't going to completely rat out a vendor, but I, I've got one in my head that I'm trying not to use. But there's there was one of these that when you think about that, if I'm sitting around in, in a very base example is that if, if I've got a thing that has a local name, don't try and use the, the again, the, the, the industry name or the industry kind of terminology around it the vendor needs to be smart enough to go, okay, what does a customer call this thing, right? And use that name. From an online perspective, I, I am always astounded at the, the level of, of search that's occurring for terms. And, and over the years, you know, there's full sentences that are being placed into uh, 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 on-site search these days. But the level of detail that you can get by investigating what those customers are looking for to be able to tune what you're seeing in your in your assortment and the terminology being used is is crucial, right? I mean, you just get some some things every once in a while. We're like, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot, right? I, I, why did I ever utilize that term? But when I know that it's this, but it, it, it's know the customer. What does the customer want and be able to use it and, and just make sure that hey, you're you, you know nothing. How do you how do you put that in place and make sure you're learning the the things the right way? Yeah, and that actually reminds me, I. I feel bad for not knowing which of the two brands it was. It, it was either Lowe's or Depot, but they have a campaign out there right now on their app where you it's like a, a what's it thing, and then you type you like take a picture and it's um it's it's about tile the the actual ad. It's funny that I know like the the ad itself. I know everything about it, but I did not capture the brand. Um, and it's those little like plus things in tile that allow you to align tile. And they take a picture of that and then they go to the store and then they buy more of this thing. And like, it's, it's such a interesting thing because like, that's, that's that usability, right? That's, that's that full end customer journey. This person is in their project. They're running out the, of the what's it thing and they need to go take a picture of it. And then the app does it for them. It's, it's a really cool, like usability concept. Yeah. And, and that's a great one because I mean, and, and think about this going back to our pro conversation, because that pro knows that thing is a, what quarter inch tile spacer, Right me sitting in my bathroom trying to place my tile on the ground. I need the, the X thingy to be able to put between the <laughs> tiles in the ground. I mean, you, you literally see people typing stuff like that, right? But I mean, again, the pros out there saving that thing, they know they probably know the model number that they need, right? Me, I'm trying to figure out how to do it. That that visual search piece is a, is a cool way to be able to uh, overcome some of the issues. Like you think of names that people don't know. I love the example that, that one year we onboarded a bunch of finials and I was like, a finial, what are we, what are we doing? Right. But we had just gotten heavy into uh, uh, standalone lights and everybody that was buying those lights wanted to exchange the finial that was on it to be kind of styled to the, how they, how they wanted their room to look. We were, we put like 15,000 of those things on there and you should have seen the, the term finial is not one that's known very well across the, uh, I would say a lot of customer bases and you would put, people would put like the, the puller chain thingy dangling on the bottom. And <laughs> like that, right? But visual search, Hey man, you can figure out what that is right now. And you get a little uh, uh, vocabulary expansion when you learn the term finial. Yeah. I mean, you just taught Chuck finial. I know that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> 
You're you're one hundred percent correct. I was sitting there thinking, I wonder how consumers, if they knew the word, how they would spell it. Because you could spell that word like five different ways. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's, funny. Uh, the the number of synonyms that are used out there that are spelled completely incorrectly in site search. I mean, it would be a funny thing to be able to see how how what's the word that has the most common misspellings associated with it, right? That one's probably up there. That's a great content idea. So, so Mike, what's one final thought you want to leave our listeners with? So I, I think for me, I, I, coming back into uh, uh, like a, a, a big picture view of everything. And I, I think we've mentioned, we've hammered this point home, I think, but the, the customer focus piece is, is the biggest thing you can do. Anytime you ever get stuck, go back and look at what your customers are asking for. And it's a very easy path to be able to make uh, some simple decisions on where you need to go. I, I think the other thing is, is you, you, at the same time, you got to be ready for anything when you're looking at multi-billion dollar websites. So what are you doing to appropriately be ready for that thing that goes bump in the night? And, and a lot of the, a lot of times these things coincide, right? Because you might be, like we were saying, making changes that you think are going to be the best thing in the world, but end up having some sort of negative impact that you weren't expecting so being being ready for all of that is 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 uh, some of the secret sauce again behind making sure that that customer experience just seems incredibly smooth and and ready for uh, uh, the levels of traffic that you're hoping your site's going to get. I mean, you, you want customers to come in and experience this and enjoy it, and uh, uh, when they're not, I mean, you just got to be aware. That's a great way to wrap wrap the conversation, Mike. Thank you. Where can listeners find you? What's the best way to connect with you? Say social media or where. Uh, LinkedIn. I, I think I'm probably, I, I know of two other Mike Shadies in the United States and one's a professional bowler. So the uh, finding me is, isn't hard. It's, it's only the two of us that pop up most of the time. So, but LinkedIn is the best. If anybody has any questions about anything, I'm happy to be able to help um, uh, out there. Just shoot me a, a message and I'm happy to connect. Today, Mike shared his expertise in creating the best shopping experience for customers at both Lowe's and Home Depot and how to ensure that all the functionality that is built into the website actually meets customer expectations. To recap, here are three frictionless ideas to take the smooth path to trust and loyalty. Number one, you can't talk to every customer coming to your site. So Mike emphasizes the importance of representative sampling and collecting appropriate customer data to understand their needs. But if a sample is too small, it can lead to the wrong decision, especially when you have a diverse customer base like in the home improvement space. Different populations shop differently and need a functional website for their needs. So you should create sub-segments for every cohort group. It's easy to get wrapped up in your day-to-day -day and forget to look at what customers are actually experiencing. Be your own customer and shop your site like a customer would to understand their end-to-end -end journey. Number two, you need to deliver on promises made online and ensure that the overall experience meets customer expectations. Mike stressed the need to hide complexity from customers and make the digital and physical experience like buy online, pick up in store, or home delivery as smooth as possible. Customers only get upset when something goes wrong and every experience they have with you is like climbing a ladder. With each step, they become more loyal. However, a disruptive experience can significantly impact a customer's perception of your brand. Falling off the top of the ladder is worse than falling off the bottom and can lead to cascading problems and negative word of mouth. Aligning your company's digital and physical efforts is important to avoid creating negative ripple effects. 
Number three, it's critical to test new functionality and proactively recognize potential friction points. Mike gave an example of a release that looked great up front, but that caused friction at checkout due to insufficient testing. Thousands of things can go bump in the night with major e-commerce websites. When you notice a drop in conversion, the goal is to minimize the financial impact by quickly identifying and fixing the problem. If issues persist for too long, you risk damaging your brand's reputation. Understanding what those are and being alerted to them proactively saves significant resources. On a final thought, companies that think they know best often develop a customer experience that actually isn't tailored to their customer base. And Mike stressed the need for constant customer first mentality and humility in acknowledging that you may not know everything. Thanks for joining us on the Frictionless Experience. We hope you've gained valuable insights to fuel your digital success. Your frictionless journey is just beginning. For more episodes filled with expert strategies and a sprinkle of digital magic, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep optimizing, keep slaying friction, and keep embracing the frictionless revolution.